wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, this is, has to be said, one of those verses which uh, preachers uh, would gladly skip. Uh, we would gladly uh, move to subjects which are more upbeat. Um, there's a general resistance uh, to the subject of the wrath of God. And yet, avoiding the subject is not an option uh, to me uh, as one who is under authority of the word and obliged to preach it. We must preach it. Uh, the gospel really doesn't make any sense without the wrath of God being preached. And I want to preach it tonight in the manner that is appropriate to that. And I ask for your prayers as I do proclaim God's word tonight. Uh, there is an attitude which is appropriate. There's a well-known story of uh, Robert Murray McShane when uh, he was speaking with a colleague who told him that he had been preaching the last Sunday on the subject of, of hell. And McShane's response to that was to ask him, did you preach it with tears? Did you preach it with tears? Uh, this is a solemn uh, subject and I pray that I may preach it with the right attitude and also that we may receive it uh, meekly uh, in a, a God-honouring response. Paul in verses 16 and 17 has given this wonderful summary of the gospel of which he is not ashamed uh, he declares that it is a message about a righteousness from God. Now, uh, with verse 18 onwards, Paul's moving into the body of his uh, doctrine, the body of his sermon, if you like, his great summary of the Christian message. And he begins with the baseline reality of the wrath of God. Now, for many uh, today reading these words, it's neither what we expect nor is it what people readily accept. Uh, most modern presentations of the gospel begin uh, on a different note. Uh, sometimes uh, there's an attempt made to have a connection with a felt need of some kind. Uh, maybe the, the need is a need for freedom or self-worth or security, something like that. In its best form, uh, connecting with that self-need is a way to move on to the deeper need that's often not acknowledged, it's not uh, spoken of, which is to be reconciled with God. In its worst form, it becomes a kind of bribery which people are promised uh, health and, and wealth if they will respond to the gospel. And we're, we're kind of used to the extreme forms of this uh, with the TV evangelist type uh, who says if you give uh, the Lord your seed money, you know, if you give to uh, the funds of this already bloated ministry, uh, then the Lord will bless you and will make you prosperous. And we used to think of that as being some kind of uh, aberration which was way out there. You know, it was in America or it was in Africa. But now, uh, through the mixed blessing of multiple TV channels, uh, it's beamed into our own homes through uh, the God channel and other channels like that. 
Sometimes the question uh, of sin is mentioned, but uh, there's no word of the wrath of God. Uh, you might know the popular Christian tract, I think it's Campus Crusades tract, Four Ways to Live, and it opens with the well-known line, uh, God, has a, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Very positive, very upbeat. Uh, well, that's not the way that Paul begins his presentation of the gospel. It's not the, the, the biblical pattern. Paul has spoken about the good news. Uh, he's told us that at the heart of this good news, there's a, a revealing of a righteousness that comes from God that can be appropriated by faith. Uh, he's now telling us why this initiative is necessary. And that's it's important. It's logical, isn't it? Uh, tell somebody that they need to be that uh, that uh, Jesus is a saviour, and it doesn't mean anything until they know why they need to be saved. What what are they going to be saved from? The reason that we need this righteousness is that none of us has it. We are all unrighteous. Uh, in fact, we are positively hostile to God, and as a result of that, we are under the wrath of God. And there's a clear pairing, we're going to say a little bit more of this, but there's a clear pairing uh, of two ideas, two things that are revealed. There's a righteousness that's revealed, the gospel reveals a righteousness, but I hear Paul saying that there's a wrath that is revealed. And the gospel is revealed, or the righteousness is revealed, because there's a wrath there. It's the necessary response. It's God's antidote to his own wrath. So, as we move through the verse, I want us to, to consider it uh, carefully, first of all, as it speaks of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. It's, in other words, it's God's wrath. It's a wrath that pertains to God. And then secondly, to, to notice that this is a just wrath of God. And then thirdly, to think of the, the revealing of this just wrath of God. So, it is first of all the wrath of God, the wrath of this God. It's a wrath which belongs to this God of which we are speaking, of which Paul is declaring in his epistle. Now that immediately creates a problem in some minds because the one thing that people are sure of, even if they don't necessarily believe in God, they think that if there is a God, the one thing they know about him is that he would be a God of love. Everybody knows that verse, God is love. So how can it be that this God who is love is also angry? It seems to many that that is in conflict, that there's something incompatible there. Well, the first thing that we need to, to be sure of is that the Bible very clearly speaks about God showing his wrath, that God does exhibit wrath. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are over 20 different words for the wrath of God. And we encounter the first of these uh, immediately after the Ten Commandments, where uh, God says, do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan 
If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. And then, uh, as we know, shortly afterwards, the people rebel. They make the golden calf. And God says, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And Moses intercedes and the people aren't blotted out. Then this morning we were thinking of the the sin of Achan and uh, God's anger is turned on the community because of Achan's sin in taking uh, the things which were devoted to destruction and concealing them. Then in the time of the kings, the monarchy, David is taking the ark back to Jerusalem and it's handled, sorry, the, the ark is handled in an unthoughtful way and Uzzah is struck down by God. And we read, then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. (coughs) Deuteronomy, there is a a look forward to the the reality that there will be a rebellion of God's people will turn to idolatry and God will exile them. And God says that this will be the kind of report that's made when this happens. It will be said that the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from their land and thrust them into another land as it is now. And so frequent are these references to to God showing his anger uh, that some people have wanted to simply do away with the the God of the Old Testament altogether. And one of the the early early heretics of the church that we haven't spotlighted in in our five-minute slots was Marcion, uh, who wanted to to get rid of of the Old Testament and also chunks of the New Testament, which uh, alluded to the Old. Because, uh, as many uh, say now, he thought that that this was a a moral monster uh, in the Old Testament. But when you move to the New Testament... uh, you're still confronted with the fact that God shows his wrath and that Jesus speaks of this. Jesus, whose coming is not to bring in judgment, but to bring in mercy, uh, speaks of the wrath of God. Uh, He speaks of it uh, coming uh, before the end times. He speaks of a judgment that will come in Jerusalem and we believe that was the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 when the Romans sacked uh, the temple. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. He repeatedly warned against the wrath of God that would be displayed in judgment and in hell. Do not be afraid, Jesus says, of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, God, who can destroy both soul and body in Hell, Matthew 10, 28. So, this truth that the the wrath of God as a reality is taught by Jesus. Now, people are uncomfortable with the idea, very often because they're thinking in human terms. And we have to remind ourselves that this is the wrath of God. And when God is showing anger... He shows it in a a different way from the way that we very often 
display anger. That's not to say that human anger is always sinful. The, the New Testament uh, says at one point, uh, in your anger do not sin. But most times, if we're honest, when we're angry, we, we tend to, it's a kind of explosion. We speak about seeing red, you know, and we, we, uh, we just burst out in an angry outburst. And very often, we regret it. It's an uncontrolled uh, exhibition of anger. Very often, not always, but it can often be that. God's anger is not like that. God's wrath is his steady, implacable opposition to moral evil. He is opposed to what is wrong. And he is passionate about that. It is uh, an indignation that he has against it. Now, some people, uh, there's uh, one of the uh, theologians, uh, critics in the 20th century, C.H. Dodd, had this idea that uh, anger is something which is an impersonal thing. Uh, it's not God himself who is angry, but God has created a universe in which uh, bad things meet with uh, judgment. And so there's a principle of wrath in the universe, rather than God being wrathful. Now, I hope that you can see straight away that that's not in the Bible. It's not a biblical idea. It sounds like karma to me. It sounds like an Eastern notion of uh, kind of reaping what you sow, uh, being a principle in the universe. No, it's a personal wrath that the Bible speaks of. God revealing his own wrath. And we can't read the Bible honestly without acknowledging that wrath is a proper attribute of God and that it is proper, if we can say it reverently, it is proper for God to know indignation, wrath against what is wrong. Think of it the other way. Would, would it be right? Would it commend God not to be moved to wrath against uh, men like Hitler, responsible for uh, the elimination of millions of Jews, or those who have preyed upon children and used their positions of authority to, uh, to inflict terrible uh, psychological scars on vulnerable young people? Of course not. It is to God's glory that he is opposed and moved with holy indignation against what is wrong. It is God's wrath. It is taught in his word. And therefore, although we may struggle with it, uh, one of the marks of being a disciple is that we submit to the word of God and allow the word of God to shape our thinking, especially in those places where there is a conflict with the culture around us. And this is certainly one of those. So it is the wrath of God, it is this specific kind of wrath, a wrath that belongs to God, and therefore uh, not to be confused with our, our own uh, exhibitions of uh, capriciousness and, and uh, pettiness. It's his wrath. Secondly, it is the just wrath of God. Uh, 
Paul says that his wrath is revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Godlessness, uh, sin against God. Uh, wickedness, uh, sin against humanity. Godlessness, people uh, who are not Christians, who don't want God's rule in their lives and who oppose God in all kinds of ways. Wickedness, the bad things people do against one another. It's against these things that God's wrath is revealed and it is a just wrath. Those who experience the fullness of God's wrath never get more than they deserve. There's equity in God's wrath. And again, it's to his glory that God is the judge and that he shows wrath to that which deserves to feel the force of wrath. If he were not, we would live in a chaotic universe where there was no justice, there was no day of reckoning. What's been the, the picture that has grabbed everybody's uh, attention and, and has just broken our hearts to see it on, on newspapers. It's been the picture of that little child, that three-year-old, uh, a three-year-old with a name, Aileen Kurdi, face down on that beach in Turkey uh, with his uh, little uh, Velcro-strapped uh, sand shoes and his shorts and T-shirt. Absolutely pathetic. And being cradled by that Turkish uh, soldier. His brother and his mother drowned as they were fleeing. Uh, they were in a situation in Syria where these uh, Islamic State thugs uh, were closing in on them and they had fled for their lives. These are people who are beheading uh, lines of Christians uh, in front of cameras. And they are under the wrath of God for that. And it is to God's glory that he brings people to account for their wickedness and their godlessness. There's wickedness and there's also the way that people resist God. Godlessness. Uh, John in the prologue speaks of how even although God has sent his light into the world... Uh, men resist the light. Uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So men have chosen darkness. Uh, and there's this, this sense underneath the whole idea of the wrath of God that people uh, get what they've actually chosen. They choose darkness rather than light, and that is what God gives them. It's a principle that, that really comes out as the chapter goes on. But there's this principle in God's wrath that he gives people what they have chosen already. People, Paul says, are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Or another way of putting it is they hinder the truth. Uh, they don't want the truth to get in. And Paul's going to go on to say that we are surrounded 
as it were, by revelational pressure all around us. Uh, there are things which are telling us that there is a God. And that happens in all kinds of different ways. It may be that we turn on the television and we see a nature program. And there's this evidence of the, the intricacy, the, the wonder of the creation, which compels belief in God. And yet we shut it out. Or it may be in some cases uh, the example of a Christian teacher which made an impression when we were young and we, we choose to shut it out from our thinking. And we think of some of the, the ways in which uh, modern comedians will make a, they will poke fun at the whole idea of the wrath of God. Uh, why do they do that? Why is that chosen as a subject of ridicule? Because people are hindering the truth in their unrighteousness. It's interesting that it's not a new thing for, for stand-up comics to, to mock the ways of God and to mock uh, the judgment of God. It's been uh, that way for a long time. When uh, George Whitfield, the, the great uh, Calvinistic evangelist of the 18th century, was, was beginning uh, his, his career of open-air preaching, uh, he went to Cardiff and he was preaching alongside uh, a Welsh uh, preacher, uh, Hewell Harris, uh, and he was by this point a seasoned evangelist. He had been doing this for two years, and a stage was set up for, for the two preachers, and Whitfield went on first. But unfortunately, there was a, a clown, a professional clown, was at the front uh, of the crowd and was doing his best to distract the people as Whitfield was preaching. He, doing all sorts of things. He was standing on his head. He was uh, mimicking uh, Whitfield's actions as Whitfield was preaching. And so there were ripples of laughter going around the crowd as Whitfield was proclaiming the gospel. And because it was the first time or, or an early time in his career as an open-air preaching, he found it really disconcerting. And he finished uh, earlier than he would have done. Then his friend uh, Harris uh, got to the front and announced his text, and his text came from uh, the book of Revelation. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And the clown uh, looked up at Harris and smirked and said, I'll stand. And Harris just fixed him with a, a steady gaze and said to him uh, in a loud cry, What? You? You poor, contemptible worm? And the clown fell prostrate before the stage and remained prone until Harris had finished preaching. It's a very solemn occasion, and Whitfield uh, had a great lesson in that. God's wrath is just. It ends with people getting what they wanted. Those who resist him, those who wish to keep God at arm's length, are granted that wish in the end. They are separated from God forever. Uh, you remember how uh, when Adam sinned in the garden, uh, his first reaction was to hide from God. And when God passes judicial judgment, uh, he grants Adam his wish. And Adam is separated from God. He is cast out of the garden. And in hell, uh, people will find that they are eternally separated from all the chose uh, to hold at arm's length in this life. Uh, they will be separated 
from uh, the truth. Uh, they will be separated from uh, all that is good and graceful. Uh, they will know only grief. Uh, there will be no rejoicing for them, only regret. The total absence of God and of good. So this is a just wrath that we have here. And therefore, because that, that is so, we as people who seek to honour God should receive his word. Um, we should not stand in judgment telling God what he can and cannot do. Instead, we should be humbled by the truth of his wrath and ask that it might give an urgency to the way we live and share the gospel. So this is the wrath that is God's wrath. It is the just wrath of God. And then finally, it is the revealed wrath of God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I said earlier that uh, this word revealed is an important word. Uh, it's, in the Greek, it's put at the head of the verse uh, to bring attention to it. Uh, it's echoing, as it were, the revealing of the righteousness that's mentioned uh, uh, back in verse uh, 18, sorry, 17. Righteousness has been revealed in response to our wrath that has been revealed. The gospel has to do with the revealing of our wrath. The gospel, the good news, is God's response uh, to his own, his divine anger. Now this is being revealed. Uh, the wrath of God is being revealed. The present tense, an ongoing tense. How is it that God is revealing his wrath uh, in the world today? Well, one of the obvious ways is, is in death. Uh, death is the wages of sin. Uh, death came into the world as God's judgment upon sin. Every funeral that we attend is a reminder of the wrath of God, the fact that there is a judge uh, before whom uh, the, the living and the dead will stand. But there's also the fact that God connects uh, misery with sin. There is a connection between uh, human behaviour uh, that goes against God and human misery. You see it in all sorts of different ways. You see it in the environment. Uh, human selfishness uh, results in spoiling what God made good. Uh, the, the way that we get rid of our forests, pollute our rivers and our oceans. Uh, we uh, reduce the diversity of, of the, the wildlife that was created uh, in our planet. Uh, the individual sees the connection between uh, his misery and his sin. Uh, the drunk drinks himself to an early grave. Uh, the the loudmouth or the cheat uh, knows what it is to be ignored and ostracized by those around. Uh, God reveals his wrath. Uh, and Paul's going to go on to speak about uh, how there is a giving over to people 
uh, a giving over uh, to the sin that people choose for themselves and a progressive uh, degradation, which is uh, God's wrath being revealed uh, in the here and the now. There's also, and we close with this, there's also the wonderful truth that the wrath of God is revealed most clearly in the cross of Calvary. And that's where we come back to this connection with the, the righteousness that revealed, the gospel and the wrath that's revealed. It's in Calvary that we see the wrath of God. We, we look at Calvary and we ask, what is going on? What's happening? What's happening when the darkness engulfs the land? What is going on when the, the sun uh, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on when the Father turns his face away? But the answer, the technical answer for that is that there's a propitiation going on. Which is a word that simply means that there is a sacrifice taking place here which is turning aside anger. That Jesus has offered himself up and Jesus is taking the wrath that was due to us on himself. And because he is doing that, there is no wrath for us. There's the, the story which you may have heard of the, the British uh, platoon that were involved in the, the Burma Railroad. It's an, an infamous uh, project uh, organised by the Japanese. They were using prisoners of war to, to build a railroad across Burma and Thailand. Many, many died uh, because of the cruelty of the Japanese. And on one occasion, uh, a platoon had been working during the day and at the end of the day the Japanese commander uh, summoned them together and he intimated that uh, a shovel had been reported missing. And unless the person responsible for stealing the shovel, because obviously it had been stolen, unless the person stepped forward, then the entire platoon would be shot one after the other. And there was a dreadful silence and then after this seemed like eternity of no one moving, uh, the commander uh, ordered his men to prepare a firing squad. And then one of the officers in the platoon stepped forward and confessed uh, to having taken the shovel. He was immediately taken away and shot. The men were dismissed, uh, trembling, went back to their, their huts. The next morning when they began uh, the, the day's work, and the shovels were recounted, it was discovered that uh, they were there all the time. There had been a miscount. But the officer had given himself up for them. He had taken the blame and had taken uh, the penalty. Now, that, that story falls short on at least uh, uh, two details. It doesn't, doesn't represent properly the wrath of God. The Japanese commander is capricious uh, and irritable in the, the wrath that he displays. And it was an inequitable uh, wrath. God's wrath is not that, like that. It is just and right and upright. 
And also, the, the illustration falls short in that propitiation is a work of the Father and the Son. The Father gives his Son, and the Son comes for us. And the Son bears the, the wrath of the Father gladly. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So the illustration is imperfect, but what it does convey is the truth that on the cross of Calvary, there was one who was bearing wrath for me and for all God's people, that we might not bear that wrath ourselves. He took what did not belong to him, divine wrath, that we might know blessing. And that is the, the wonder of the gospel. The good news, which needs to have preached as its baseline, this dark, solemn truth, God is wrathful against sin. Friends, will we receive it in meekness? I hope we, we do. Will we allow the, sh the truth to shape our lives? Because it ought to give to us uh, a deep gratitude for our salvation. Our salvation has rescued us from the just wrath of God against sinners. And it should give us an urgency with which we share the gospel. Because the gospel comes uh, with the plea. Flee from the wrath that is to come. Let's bow and pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your word. Your word is true. Uh, we confess that sometimes we, we find it hard to, to receive it, hard to respond to it. But Lord, we believe that, that this aspect of your character is one that should make us uh, tremble, but one also that should fill us with gratitude in the knowledge that your Son has borne wrath in our place. We thank you that instead of that wrath which has been revealed being our lot, the righteousness of Christ which has been revealed has been given us instead. And from the depth of our hearts we thank you, Lord, and bless your name.